Howdy. What's going on? Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. It is heard live every day, by the way, from noon until 3 on WBT Radio in Charlotte. And if you want exclusive content, invitations to events, the weekly live stream, my daily show prep with links, become a patron. Go to the PeteCallanerShow.com. This podcast is also supported by North Carolina businesses, so please consider supporting them. Try not to skip through their short ad. Make sure you hit the subscribe button to get every episode for free right to your smartphone or tablet. And thanks so much for your support. Alrighty, so I got a bunch of different topics here to run through because I've been uh, letting them just accumulate. I've been hoarding show prep. It's not healthy, I know. I, I have messages and emails. I will actually, you know what? Let's start there. Shall we start there? Let's. Yeah, we'll start there. Let's open the mail sack and uh, get to some of your messages. John, he says, if you want to watch liberals' heads explode. Explain to them that in North Carolina, the Republican Party co-founded the NAACP while the Democrats founded the KKK. Very nicely done, John. Yes. I actually did tell that to him. I will not, <clears throat> I will not divulge the circumstances of this interaction, but only to say that uh, there were uh, two individuals, and they were, uh, shall we say, equals in an association— and I was talking with both of them, and then we were going to a different location. I know, I know, they tell you never go to the second location. But I was going, we were going to the second location, and uh, as we're walking out, uh, these co-equals, uh, one of them is a Democrat, one of them is a Republican, and the Democrat says some joke, what he thought, was a joke to me and this Republican that, oh, you're going to go, you guys got to go to your Klan meeting, which was stupid because we're all going to the second location, like, well, no, I said, no, we're, we're, we're going to the, essentially it was like an after party, but it wasn't an after party. It was like there were, they, they had, they had an event and then there was a gathering afterwards, right? So we were going from one place to the other. So we were all getting ready to go to the second location and he makes some joke. Oh, you're going to, I guess you and he are going to a clan, your clan rally, huh? And I was like, that's weird. Like we're going to see you there. Number one. And number two, if it was a, Clan rally, well, that would be your party because you guys did that. And he, hadn't, he, he didn't know that. He would not, he could not believe. It's like, yeah, dude, Democrats, they, they were in charge of the state for 150 years. What are you talking about? Yes, they were. Well, that was before everybody flipped. That's, you know, <laughs> that's always the argument you hear that. The big lie that Democrats tell themselves that <clears throat> after the Republicans got the Civil Rights Act passed that um, and and got a Democrat president to sign it, that after that happened, that's when everybody switched parties. Because, of course, naturally, that is what you would do, right? You would switch from the party that opposed the Civil Rights Act and join the party that passed the Civil Rights Act. Or, no, you would do the opposite if you were... wait. Because then the president was a Democrat. So, yeah. Anyway, so that's the lie they tell themselves. Um, John says, uh, in the Pines film, I just shared a link on the Facebook. I knew nothing about that. Well, thank you, John. I appreciate it. John's up in New Jersey. So, uh, and look, I will tell you, growing up in New York on Long Island, they never taught, I mean, what we got taught about the Civil War was it was fought over slavery Next chapter. Like we, okay, that's an oversimplification, but we didn't spend a lot of time on the Civil War. 
We didn't. We didn't spend a lot of time learning about the, the Civil War. We spent a lot of time, oh, way too much time, oh, like the robber barons, you know, industrialization, unions, right? It makes sense, right? You're up in the Northeast, and so that's what they want to focus on. The evil rich guys, <laughs> the, the, you know, the noble union worker. Right? So that's what, that was the education we got up there. To them, it was like, you know, uh, the South wanted slaves, uh, the North didn't, and so we went to war, we freed the slaves, and uh, we won, that's it. Like, that was essentially the, the, the lessons that we got from our K-12 government school up there. We never heard of the Wilmington massacre, the Wilmington coup. We never heard of it. Surprisingly, a lot of people I found out in North Carolina Coming through the K-12 North Carolina government schools, they never heard about it either. But once again, if it was, you know, the Democrats in charge of the curriculum and it was the Democrats that that threw the coup, well, now it kind of makes sense, right? Um, let me see here. Let me get to the uh, messages. This is from uh, Russ. Okay, so, yeah, well, all right, so if you're just joining me now— I've been on since 11 a.m., so I've done two hours already. Uh, so I, in, in the first hour, we talked about the the Nashville man, the shooter's manifesto and the three pages that leaked out about that. So um, this is what um, Russ says. Another post on the Twitter was discussing the significant number of mass shooters who had been on law enforcement radar and also purchased very high-end gear without any discernible means to afford it. For example, the Uvalde shooter had over $6,000 in firearms and accessories. I mean, it would be insane to suggest somebody is grooming and supplying mass shooters, right? I mean, that would be like suggesting the DOJ would run guns to Mexico or set up a plot to kidnap a governor just to achieve a desired political outcome, right? Okay, yeah, um, yeah, that'd be crazy. No, I don't know. I think, uh, honestly, I think a lot of the the funding over the last few years for for the carnage has actually come from us taxpayers through the form of the COVID checks and stuff and the unemployment checks and, you know, the artificial propping up of the economy, the printing of money and all that. I think that's where probably a lot of people got a lot of that money. And a lot of these you know, a lot of the younger shooters, they still live at home with their parents or grandparents. You know, rarely do you find one of these uh, these mass murderers that, you know, live on their own. Unless they, you know, have done so for a long time and then have some sort of a psychotic break, like the guy up in Maine, I think it was, right? Lewiston, Maine. Regarding colonizers, I just saw a repost on a sociology professor on Twitter that claimed white people introduced violence and strife to the world. All violence, all strife is the direct result of white people's actions or the response to what white people do. In her religion, white people are the snake in the garden or Pandora's box that introduced chaos or sin to an otherwise pristine world. Right. Imagine saying some of this stuff about any other group of people. Well, besides Jews, uh, right. So, well, because they're kind of white, right? So you could say stuff about them. You could say stuff. I mean, some of the the things that the leftists, these uh, critical race theorists, it doesn't matter what race they are, but because their, their ideology, their religion is Marxism. It's this wokeism. 
they they say just the most awful things about an entire population of people or multiple populations of people that would never be permitted in polite society. People would, would recoil in horror if you were to make sweeping, generalized, bigoted remarks about uh, other groups of people that are often made when discussing decolonization and such, or as that sociologist apparently believes, that white people are the devil. That's what she's saying. White people are the devil, right? The snake in the Garden of Eden, everything was pristine and perfect, and then along comes the white people and they make everything terrible. Now, I, I, I do concur. There are a lot of white people that are making things terrible. I call them Marxists. Yes, they are making a lot of things terrible. Totally agree. Um, did you hear about State Auditor Beth Bumpercar Wood? The latest is now... She is, okay, so first, let me see if I can track this correctly. Over the last, I think it's been the last week. I want to say it's over the course of about a week. Uh, Bumper Car Beth said uh, that she was going to still run for re-election. Then she said she's not going to run for re-election. Then she, I guess coincidentally, got charged. And now she just announced uh, today that she is uh She's going to resign. Our state auditor is facing an indictment. I mean, it's a, I mean, they're misdemeanor charges, but well, it's another new misdemeanor charge. Um, She's going to step down as state auditor on December 15th, completing 30 years of service. Oh, thank goodness. So make sure she can get the 30 year pension by it. All right. Well, now that makes sense. Okay. Makes sense. I'll go into more of the details on this, guys. I think I'm just going to, I'm just spitballing here, but I think maybe, maybe I'm thinking, I'm thinking that she's not going to run for reelection and now she's resigning. I'm thinking it's, it's because she got charged. I don't think it was for family reasons. Now I know I, I'll explain. I just hear me out. I'll explain. All right. Do the current world events have you wondering whether we are teetering on the edge of catastrophe? Are you concerned it's going to reach our shores? Okay, so what are you doing about your concerns? Let me help. Carolina Readiness Supply at carolinareadiness.com. Whether you're looking to expand your emergency preparedness supplies or you have no idea where to even begin, Carolina Readiness Supply can help you. Food, water purifiers, tools, first aid kits, instructional materials, camping and hiking supplies even. Because being prepared is just smart. Carolina Readiness Supply has 2,000 square feet of supplies and educational materials that you'll need for any kind of emergency. In Waynesville and always at carolinareadiness.com veteran-owned Carolina Readiness Supply. Will you be ready when the lights go out? State Auditor Beth Wood charged Tuesday with using a state-owned vehicle for personal errands. The latest chapter in a saga that has upended the long tenure of a government watchdog who has enjoyed bipartisan support. See, this is the real reason why she flipped the other day and said that she was not running for re-election after telling everybody that she was going to run for re-election, right? She used an assigned state-owned vehicle in 2021 and in 2022. And she used that state vehicle for private purposes. You know, 
driving drunk from Christmas parties and the like. Oh, no, I'm sorry. She said, no, she only had two glasses of wine at that Christmas party, and that's why she fled the scene after driving the vehicle up on top of another vehicle and then leaving it there because the tire got stuck. So she couldn't get the car off the other car, so she got out of the car. And and then Rufus Edmiston, his former lieutenant governor, Democrat power broker, lawyer guy in Raleigh who was hosting the Christmas party and all of the people in the lobby were like, oh my gosh, and like, get her out of here. You can hear it on the videotape that an Uber driver shot. And uh, then they whisk her away through the office. And a couple of those uh, law firm uh, employees, yeah, they they got charged too. They they were helping someone flee the scene of a crime, which, I mean, of all, of all professions, to not know what the law is, lawyers would be like right up there at the top, I would think, right? People who are working at a law firm, they would be the first ones to tell somebody, hey, even though you know, you're know you not drunk, you should just stay here. They would never tell somebody to do that. Oh, my gosh. Right? Like, she's in a panic. So, of course, they're like, you need to leave immediately. Definitely leave immediately because you're not drunk. Right? That makes sense. Right? Yeah. There's no other reason to... Fl- Sarcasm aside here, people. She... She fled the scene because she was drunk. And the lawyers knew that. And when doing the risk assessment, cost-benefit analysis on the fly, it is best to leave the scene and not get caught for the DUI and just let people think it rather than stick around and actually get arrested for the DUI. And if that video hadn't surfaced... I suspect that um, that they would have stuck with whatever cockamamie story they were developing. They would have stuck with it till the end. But video emerged. Um, so anyway, she uh, would use this state vehicle, and she would travel back and forth to regularly scheduled hair appointments and dental appointments that were out of town. This is according to an indictment handed down uh, earlier this week by a Wake County grand jury. She also traveled to shopping centers and to spas where she was not engaged in business in her official capacity. Woods's driving habits and state vehicle use came under scrutiny following the December 8th incident in which Wood crashed a state-issued Toyota sedan into a parked car in downtown Raleigh. Wood was charged in that incident. The state then suspended her vehicle assignment as police investigated the crash. After the suspension was issued, according to WRAL, she used a separate state vehicle for personal trips. An agent with the SBI, State Bureau of Investigation, presented evidence to jurors including GPS data, which eventually led to an indictment. Wood was charged this week with private use of a publicly owned vehicle. That is a misdemeanor. And that followed an eight-month investigation. Some of the trips detailed happened after the December 8th crash. In a statement, Wood said she reimbursed the state on a monthly basis for use of a state vehicle that was permanently assigned to her. She said, quote, I purposely overpaid for my commuting miles to make certain it covered any personal use over and above commuting.
is that some sort of tax violation? Are you saying you you lied about mileage? Is that what? This she is the auditor, right? If I, I do remember that. Okay, yeah, she's the auditor. Well, was I guess, or soon to be was. All right, let's go over here and get Will on the program. Hello, Will. Welcome to the show. Hey, what's up, Pete? How hey, are you, sir? I'm good. How are you? Doing well, man. Um, hey, just wanted to chime in on the uh, the professional and personal issues with State Auditor Beth Wood. Yeah. Um, I'm a CPA, 40-year-old guy. Uh, in a past life, did probably seven, eight, nine years of local government audits, which falls under uh, her, which fell under her auspices. Mm-hmm. Um, just kind of wanted to weigh in. It's it's disappointing at the end of the day that she's just a typical government employee, and she's resigning with a pension plan. Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, I assume that she's getting a pension because she said that she's doing so for and to mark her thirtieth year, or whatever, to hit thirty years. Right. Yeah. The general public should just should be all over this. When you calculate the present value of her annuity that she'll be getting, it's unbelievable that she made these decisions and she's still allowed to receive the benefits of having been a public worker over the years. And whether or not she's a CPA, which she is, uh, like myself, or like me rather, there should be some level of professional integrity there, and that's missing. And it's disappointing to see that with her. It's disappointing that at the end of the day, she's just another government employee that well, we're all supporting. And she was um, she was well-respected on both sides of the aisle because she was at least perceived, and I think probably was, uh, willing to, you know, go after people from both parties if they were uh, abusing the public uh, coffers and, and, and if they were not you know, doing things correctly and they were not filing the right reports or whatever. And, and she, I mean, she went after agencies and got people into a lot of trouble for this very thing that she has been doing herself now, which like, that's the, that's the biggest issue. And I think a lot of the muted response that you're seeing to it is because uh, to this uh, the, to the news, a lot of people just feel sad about it because she was well respected, and to see her now kind of fall from that position, a lot of people are just sad and they don't want to kind of pile on because she was seen as an honest broker, and now it turns out that maybe she hasn't been this whole time. I don't know. Yes, I, I think you're spot on, and I think it's a sad day for for our profession as well. Um, the question I have is regarding her personal use of vehicles. I mean, I'd like to know, as a as a taxpayer and a citizen, I'd like to know what her employment arrangements were with the state. And regardless of whether she reimbursed at whatever she defines as greater than fair value i'd like to know if she was actually allowed to do that to begin with no that's why that and that's why she's been charged um so there so there you go i i'm i'm literally just picking up the story yeah that today i've got i've got young kids and you know don't <laughs> i've 
I don't get to follow stuff as as quickly as I as I wish I could. No, I get you. So uh, and this is and look, I don't know all of the rules on this stuff either. The story in the uh, at WRAL, uh, they say here, um, state employees who are issued cars are allowed to use the vehicles to commute under certain conditions, but commuting is not permitted in cars that are assigned to agencies. That, according to Robert Riddle, the director of the state's Motor Fleet Division, and that's what he told her back in February. Um, and then they added uh, more de- uh, They added uh, support to details and travel logs that had previously been obtained by WRAL. She logged miles in a state-owned Toyota Camry starting as early as December 12th, the day uh, she was charged following the December 8th crash. So after the crash, she kept using the state-owned vehicle even when they told her not to. And she kept logs about it, too. That's what's kind of crazy about it. It's uh, yeah, it's just, just well, sad. Well, clearly there's a pattern that <clears throat> she, she felt like supposedly if she continued with the same behavior, it would create a pattern that would be defendable. Yeah, maybe so. In, in the future. I, I just wanted to weigh in. I mean, I... I've seen so much fraud, waste, abuse in local governments, uh, and and her office was the one that was responsible, you know, ultimately for for the external audits that we CPAs present. Uh, it's just it's a disappointing day, and I, I'm I'm sad for our profession. I I am sure that North Carolina accountancy law and our profession will absolutely evolve and change just like it did after WorldCom and Enron, Arthur Anderson. I'm sure that the profession will continue to change, but it's certainly a disappointing day for, for those of us that, that, yeah, that uh, do this maintain, work. Maintain integrity with our profession. Yeah. No, I, I hear you, Will. I hear you. I appreciate the call, sir. Yes, sir. All right, All right take it easy. <clears throat> so, the state auditor's job is to make sure government programs are using their resources as efficiently as possible while complying with state and federal regulations. In 2019, state auditor Beth Wood went after the state's Motor Fleet Management Division. 2019, so four years ago, the auditor went after the Motor Fleet Management Division because it failed to keep a close enough eye on vehicle usage. So they did this audit, and they found that 61 of the state's 7,688 permanently assigned vehicles were assigned to people that are no longer employed by the state. So a little bit less than what, 1% is that? 61 out of nearly 7,700 Permanently assigned vehicles, 61 of them were still being used by people who had left state employment. Seven were assigned to employees without a North Carolina valid license. <laughs> so <clears throat> it does make you wonder if there's any bit of uh, payback going on here. All right after she got charged December 12th with misdemeanor hit and run resulting in property damage after the car crash, she pleaded guilty to the charge in March, and she said at the time of her conviction that she was attending a holiday party. She had consumed only two glasses of wine, which I'm sure police never hear that one, right? Oh, I only had two drinks. Mm-hmm. 
But she said she totally wasn't impaired at the time of the crash. That's why she fled. It was just she wasn't impaired. She was just scared. Scared. And that's what scared people do is they flee through the law firm at the behest of the lawyers. Right. Who are not at all officers of the court and shouldn't not at all be advising clients to flee the scene of a car crash when the driver's not drunk. Right. So as the cops investigated the incident, the Motor Fleet Management, the state agency that manages state-owned cars, they suspended her vehicle assignment. The next month, she was notified of a possible state policy violation for commuting in an agency-issued car. She had a car. She wrecked it. They were like, you don't get to drive your car. So she started driving an agency car. Problem. I have a message from John. Subject line, health concern says, Pete, you are about to start your fourth hour. Are you okay? Do you need to sit down for a minute? Maybe drink a Gatorade to replenish your electrolytes. I know this is tough, but I believe you can do it. Just one step in front of the other, and this fourth hour will be over before you know it. I don't know, John. It's been a... I feel... I, I, hang on. <clears throat> This is my uh, electrolytes. They're good. They got what a body needs. I drink an electrolyte every, I drink these electrolytes every day. But see, it's not just the fourth hour. I still got the Friday hangover to do with Brett Winterbull. After I'm done with this show, I, I hang around and I talk with Brett for a whole other segment. And I did a segment this morning in Raleigh. I was up at uh, oh, quarter till six this morning. I woke up. Well, the alarm goes off at five, and I hit the snooze, and then I laid there, and then like about five thirty, start getting like anxious, like I got to get out of bed. So I just I get out of bed, and uh, so yeah. But I went to bed last night at like eleven thirty or so because I had an HOA thing to do. That's a mess. Uh, anyway. I think I'm going to make it, though, John. Thank you for your concern. I appreciate it. Um, Mark says, Pete, perfect example of Democrats saying, do as I say, not as I do. Yeah, that's the that's the thing about the Beth Wood story. It's the hypocrisy. You know, that's really what what uh, what got attraction. No pun intended. Um, I don't know what's happening in Asheville with their police chiefs. I really don't. So the the police chief's wife just got busted for DUI. She pulled the Beth Wood. I mean, she didn't go up and over the vehicle, but sideswiped. The and this, by the way, she is not the first relative of an Asheville police chief to be involved in a DUI in Asheville. So I, I don't know. But and this guy, remember, well, this. All right. So when I was up there, I was working in Asheville. The police chief was a guy by the name of Chief William Anderson, or as I used to call him, Mr. Anderson. No, I'm kidding. I called him chief. But uh, he has a son and the son and his wife, actually, they both got city jobs. And uh, his son uh, was at a party. I think around UNC Asheville campus area or something, if I recall correctly. And 
left the party, uh, and then they found, uh, after a crash, they uh, neighbors come out, and they see a car, and it's like crashed into a tree in a center median, and uh, there's nobody in it. Uh, so they call the cops. Cops show up, and they're like, where they run the plate, and oh, my gosh, that's the chief's car. That's police chief Anderson's car. So they call the chief. Chief's at home. He's asleep. Oh, he let his son drive it. His son, the car was registered to Chief, but it was Chief Junior who was driving. So they tracked down Chief Junior, who apparently, I think, if I recall correctly, ran up onto somebody's porch and was like hanging out up there or whatever. So anyway, they they talked to him for a while and he says he wasn't driving because he was too drunk to drive. So he left the party with a fellow by the name of Deontay. So Deontay was driving. So the uh, uh, the manhunt begins for Deontay. Where is Deontay? I was very helpful in this search, I feel like, at the time. Uh, what with my regular Deontay's Inferno updates that we were providing uh, on the radio. Uh, but for some reason, uh, we never could find Deontay. I think it was because Deontay did not exist. That's, that's actually what it turned out to be. There was no Deontay. It was actually the, the Chief Junior who was driving. And then there was like this whole backstory where the cops that arrived at the scene, they wanted, there was like this effort to cover it up and all this other stuff. And then there were the whistleblowers and yeah, yeah. So there's like all of that stuff too. But you've got on the, uh, uh, the, the next installment of this is Chief Zach. And Chief Zach, that's the new chief that he's there now. His wife, she got arrested about five days ago or so, or, ten, or eight, about a week ago, charged with DUI. She got into a wreck at the intersection of Hendersonville Road and Airport Roads. So the pretty big intersection's got the two turn lanes, you know. So when you're when you're when you get the protected green um when you get the protected green arrow, you got two lanes turning left and coming the other direction you have two lanes turning left from that side. And so she was in one of those outer turn lanes and apparently sideswiped a vehicle that was turning left from their outer turn lane. So they were kind of making the turns past each other. And she then tested at a BAC level of uh, 0.16. The legal blood alcohol limit is 0.08. So is there something about Asheville? I'm just kidding. Yes, there is. That's totally, yeah. There's a lot of, I don't know if you're aware, there's a lot of drinking. A lot of drugs. Uh, yeah. It's where a lot of people go to party on vacation. It's like a whole tourist thing. They, yeah, people go to Asheville for their, uh, I will tell you, by the way, the uh, people in Asheville, they don't really like you. I'm, I'm just, I'm just being honest. They really don't like you. They love your money. Bring your money. Just leave it. But no, they're not, they're not cool with all of like the, uh, the bachelorette parties and stuff. Really, they really don't like it. They do like to protest, though. They love doing that. I'll give you an update on that. Start up the next hour.